You want to reach out anytime? Uh, well, I'm going to first give you the information and the number to call right now, here and now. You want to talk to somebody in the form of Stan Fainzelberg, Partners, Sanfiru, Tamarkin, LLP. You can do so, 416 870 6400. Phone lines open, ready to uh, answer all your questions. 416-870-6400. As you know, that number, email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Going to get to a lot of emails tonight. We got the uh, the inbox is, uh, is bubbling over, so I want to hammer through a bunch of those as they continue to come in on a uh, hourly basis, pretty much that. And we'll get to some uh, some emails on the show and some other topics, whatever you got to Whatever you got in mind, bring it on. No dumb questions. Uh, another place for you to go even before you call in or call Stan outside the hour of the show, which I'll give you that number in just a sec, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. How about that? Absolutely free. An anonymous severance pay calculator rolled into that sucker as well. Lots of free information to be had. But if you want to reach out to Stan and his team, you can do that when we're done the show. one 855 is how that's done. I'll give you that uh, throughout the night. As well, but here and now, let's uh, let's get it happening. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Bring on your calls, Stan. Good to talk to you again, brother. What uh, what do you got happening for the week that was? Good to talk to you too, John. Uh, for the week that was, I want to bring to our listeners' attention the new government bill that had just been released, uh, Bill Twenty Seven, the Working for Workers Act. Uh, a lot of really important changes going on in this bill, John, to the Employment Standards Act that people really need to uh, to know about. Okay. And one of the biggest ones, and probably the one that's been publicized the most, is the disconnecting from work uh, provision that they've introduced. Essentially a requirement that all employers with at least 25 employees have a written policy in place requiring employees to disconnect from work and which includes emails, phone calls, you know, any any real semblance or anything that resembles work, essentially a policy that discourages employees from engaging in that. And I think a really important provision, not so much in terms of what the real steps it's taking. At the end of the day, it really is just a requirement to write a policy, John. But I think it's more important in the, the tone that it's trying to set in the workplace and setting this mindset of disconnecting from work and trying to implement that because as we all know, and especially during the year and a half that we've all essentially been working remotely, the lines between work and home have very much been blurred. This is something that I think is trying to change that mindset. Uh, another really important provision, John, is this ban on almost all forms of non-compete provisions in employment contract, with one exception being for sales of businesses and when the employee or the owner stays on as an employee. But all other forms of non-competes, in, even for individuals as high up as CEOs and executives, are going to be banned in the province of Ontario, which, as far as I, I'm aware, is really the only jurisdiction in Canada or anywhere in North America to take this step. It's really interesting to see how this will be implemented and how it will work, especially in relation to other jurisdictions and their uh, contracts and non-competes. Uh, another provision here, John, that I think is important is the, is a new requirement for all temporary agencies to have licenses through the Ministry of Labor and the Director of Employment Standards, uh, essentially creating a brand new licensing regime for this industry that's you know had a lot of issues. Uh, the the old wind government attempted to to address a lot of those by actually implementing its own regime to essentially require uh, and make changes to the ESA to require essentially 
workers to be considered workers both part of the temporary agency and the company they are sent to work mm -hmm. for, putting some of the liability on those companies as well. But this act takes it even one step further and even requires them to have valid licenses, to have those licenses renewed on a periodic basis, and really trying to you know clean up an industry that clearly has a lot of problems, especially with a lot of these agencies kind of being known as fly-by-night uh, employment agencies right. where they just kind of close down shop and there's no relief for people who were working there. Sometimes they take even wages that were owed to them. Once they're, you know, once they close up shop, it's very hard to find these agencies. So a lot of really interesting um, provisions in this act, John, th those are the three ones that I really wanted to highlight, but, a you know, a lot of other interesting tidbits in there and to see how it progresses and see what actually remains in there when the government is done with the bill and receives royal scent. So first from the, <laughs> if from the opinion of, you know, the average Canadian average worker mm -hmm. is, is the things, I mean, there's more to it than this, obviously, but the ones you highlighted, should we all be happy with generally what's what you've highlighted so far? I think it is with the, with the work and home thing. I think that was, that was coming because of what you said with the relationship mm -hmm. between COVID and working at home, so on and so forth. I think that's way overdue. Um, how about the rest of it? Do you think everybody should uh, be happy with it? I mean, it's a very, you know, especially the non-compete provision, yeah. which, you know, starting obviously with the general idea, as we do as lawyers, that most of these non-competes are unenforceable, right? For, right. for your average person, they're not going to apply to them, even if it's written into a contract. But at the higher levels, that's going to be really interesting to see how that works. Because in the, at those higher executive levels, these tend to be very much enforceable and very aggressively enforced. Uh, and so that, I think, is going to have some real-world implications. And certainly the temporary help, help uh, agencies and the licensing regime around that, uh, so, you know, something that's been, they've, like I said, the Wynn government tried to address it. There have been a few attempts at trying to address this particular industry. So, I'm, you know, it's no guarantee that this one will necessarily work. But at the same time, it's an interesting approach and, you know, something that's very interesting to see in terms of the world, uh, real world implications for it. Again, phone calls about these things that Stan's highlighted or anything else tonight uh, you have uh, cooking in your mind about employment loss, severance, uh, the vaccine mandating, all that stuff, 416-870-6400. Now, if you were to put your lawyer hat on with these points you just <laughs> raised, is there any red flags potentially you see coming down the, uh, the pipe because of this? Oh, as I said, you know, the non-compete agreements, I'm really interested to see how that's going to work between jurisdictions. You know, a lot, I haven't heard of any other jurisdictions implementing this particular agreement, especially in the United States. There's actually case law that suggests they're very much enforceable, not even just at the highest rungs of, uh, of a hierarchy in a business, but even to the lowest individuals who sign them and who just, you know, are really not something that this was intended to be uh, applied to. I mean... Even individuals as, who are drivers are signing non-compete, saying they can't go to drive for another company. You know what possible reason is that there for that, except yeah. for a restriction on labor and essentially creating control and giving more power to the company in that instance. Yeah, I mean the American the American system is completely different, especially as you know when it comes to severance and, and the like. I mean it's you absolutely know, employment at will is not something you want up here for sure. But uh, again, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred is the number you want to use to call through and uh, ask Stan any of your questions tonight. Again, if it's COVID related, uh, workplace mandate, uh, all that stuff. 
We tackled all. Severance question, overtime question, doesn't matter. 416-870-6400. If you have something else to talk about, let's do that first. If not, brother, we'll go on to our first email because I did mention we're going to get through a ton of those. What do you say? Uh, no, I think that was all okay. I want to cover tonight. So cool. why don't we hit up the emails, John? All right, Rishma, thank you uh, so much for uh, for chiming in tonight. You're the first one to say, hey, Stan, I was just terminated from my company because of a post I made on my personal Facebook account. The post had nothing to do with my work or company, and I don't understand how they can terminate me for this. Is this even legal? Well, Rishma, what you have to remember is that the starting point when it comes to any termination in Ontario is that any termination, any employer is allowed to terminate any employee for essentially any reason, as long as that reason is discriminatory and they provide you with a fair severance package. So in your situation, is if they are offering you a without cause termination, offering you a severance package, then it's very much legal what they're doing. Um, you know, are as individuals obviously operating in, in social media, what we say can affect the companies that you work for and companies are becoming very hypervigilant about these things. And even if you're only saying it in a personal capacity, they may still decide that they don't want that association and just terminate you for that. As long as they're paying you a severance, yeah. they are allowed to do that, Reshma. Yeah, we often joke that, you know, you come in one day at work and the boss doesn't like the fact that you're wearing a blue shirt, he can let you go. Mm-hmm. Stupid, silly, would never happen, but if you get full severance, he can uh, he can do so or he, she can do so. Robert's up next says, hey guys, how much notice do I have to give my employer if I want to resign? So the, the answer technically depends, Robert. Well, the first thing, question you kind of, or the first way to kind of figure this out is by looking at your employment contract. Because if your employment contract requires you to give your employer notice, that's how much notice it is, whether it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, what have you. If you don't have a contract, then technically there is no requirement for you to give notice. There's no, you know, unlike the Employment Standards Act, which imposes that obligation on employers, there is no corresponding requirement in the ESA for employees to give companies uh, notice. That being said, there is actually a tort called wrongful resignation. Essentially, a company, if if you resign in a critical juncture uh, of whatever uh, of a particular event, and that causes the company significant damages because of your resignation without notice, they can actually sue you for what's called wrongful resignation. So, essentially, you know, look at the contract. If not, then. Just, you know, honestly, the, the real answer here is just be reasonable, figure out what works, maybe even have a conversation with your employer, make this transition smooth, and that's probably the best way to approach it. And again, 416-870-6400. We'll get right to the phones after a short break. Uh, Shahina, we see you there. Stand by. We will get to your call and all the others. 416-870-6400. We'll continue Monday Night Edition Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. Stan Fainzelberg, it is. He has a partner, Sam Fu, to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. You want to reach out, get the compensation you deserve. This is what you deserve if you're let go. It's not a lottery ticket, it's not a windfall, it's what you deserve. 
And there's laws all about that. That's why you call into uh, to stand anytime and get set straight. That number outside the hour of the show, one 821 5900 But here now, you know it, 416-870-6400. Shahina, thank you for standing by for a couple minutes. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Excellent. What's uh, What's on your mind? Well, I have a question. If your employer calls you in for work, uh, well, for a meeting, let's say, is there mm-hmm. some amount of time they're supposed to pay, or can they just pay you for 15 minutes? How does this work? Uh, I believe if they call you in for a work, they have to pay you at least three hours of time, uh, even if you're only there for 15 minutes. But if they call you for a meeting, it's, uh, does the same three-hour rule apply? Yeah, my meeting is work. Okay, I thought so. Uh, Follow-up question. Um, yep. like sure. Normally, if uh, my my employer would send a system-generated email um, in in the scheduling huh, where it would tell me my shift and the mm-hmm. days I'm working uh, for the meeting. Uh, I, to my understanding, they are supposed to do the same thing. They are supposed to send the same kind of scheduling, correct? For a meeting. Or, 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 yeah, or can they just say, hey, come by for 15 minutes? Uh, what, I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's any particular rules when it comes to how to schedule these things. It's just whatever your practice is with your employer. If they do it through this one you know, electronic system, that you know, but they choose to schedule this meeting otherwise by just emailing you or calling you, I don't see necessarily an issue with that. Okay. Um, uh, and what happens if, uh, let's say, you have to take time off work sick because you have, or your doctor has advised you to do so and your employer is hesitant uh, or, let's say, they have not given you a schedule for a whole month? How does this go, go about then? Well, if, you're, uh, if your doctor is advising you not to work, then your employer has to comply with your doctor's uh, medical note that if you provide them with that and they have to let you not work. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean about them not scheduling you. Well, after after when the employee says, okay, I'm ready to come back with uh, modified duties, um, uh, they have yeah, the I mean, obligation it, to take you back? Yes, absolutely. They have the obligation to take you back and to accommodate you to the point of undue hardship. Okay. Um, Which essentially I, I, means I, if they can accommodate you, they should and have to. Okay, and if let's say if they they try to do what I just said, they they're refusing the shift. Yes, yeah, yeah they're basically they trying to get for fifteen minutes uh, meeting. We we want to talk to you in person, so um, it doesn't sound very uh, uh, let's say muddy intentions. It feels like I don't know, maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, you just have to kind of uh, attend the meeting and see how it goes. But if they do terminate you or if they attempt to, you know, discipline you or reduce your work for in some way, because essentially as a reprisal for you taking a sick leave, that's definitely not legal. Okay. Um, okay. I will contact your office. Thank you so much for your advice. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shahina. You want to reach out with any more questions, and the ones you asked were great uh, as well, by the way. Thank you for that. Uh, it is 1-855-821-5900, and the number Shahina used, you can use it as well. It's just that simple. Call quickly, a couple minutes, you'll get some answers, right? 416-870-6400. Moving on to Talia. And again, this email address we use, you can use now anytime. As a matter of fact, help at employmentlawyer.com. 
Dot.ca. Tally says, hey, Stan, how much time should an employer provide an employee to review an employment contract? Hmm. Uh, I mean, there's no set amount of time. Again, a lot of like a lot of things in law, it really turns on the questionable question of reasonableness. You know, it depends on the context, depends on the employee situation, depends on the type uh, type of move we're talking about for an employment contract. Is it just somebody switching jobs? Is them is it require them moving across the continent? Um, really, I mean, it comes down to this question of reasonableness. But at the end of the day, the important thing is that the employer does have to provide some amount of time for you to seek out and go talk to an independent legal uh, counsel, essentially to give you an opportunity to review the contract. Because if they just you know, give you a contract and say, sign it on the spot, basically, you can argue that you didn't have an opportunity to review it and therefore didn't know what it said, couldn't understand yeah. its legal implications, and therefore it doesn't apply to you. To your point, when you said have it reviewed, mm-hmm. that is something you should all, I mean, you're going to take some time anyway, which was the crux of Tally's question, but mm-hmm. that's something you should always do is reach out to you or a member of your team because there, I would imagine there's a lot of you know, legalese and language in there that, that the layperson, myself and anybody else listening, would not understand. They're going to look at the main things like you know my holiday pay, mm-hmm. okay, I get overtime, oh, the salary is what it's supposed to be, okay, let's rock on. And there could be bad yeah. things in that contract that you've oh, you've overlooked because you're not a, an employment lawyer, correct? I mean, I would say that at, at least six out of p- ten people that I speak with, John, are surprised to know that their contract contains a termination clause that they may have read at the time. They just didn't bother understanding or thinking about, frankly, uh, and are surprised to hear that, hey, they might not be able to get the severance they expected because of the contract they agreed to, you know, five, 10 years ago when they started working at this company. So at a minimum, I agree, you need to have this contract reviewed. You want to understand its implications and you want to be able to potentially, you know, renegotiate the terms to something a little bit more reasonable if the terms are unreasonable. And is that something somebody should feel comfortable doing or proposing to a uh, potential employer saying, look, I, you know, th- this is cool. I'm eager to, to get started in the job. It's, you know, you know it's full steam ahead, but yeah, I got a couple things I want to maybe hammer out with you guys that aren't, aren't quite uh, aren't quite kosher. It, people have more than enough time, and they should not feel scared to do something like that, right? I mean, I definitely agree that the, it makes sense to review these things and think about it, and you know, potentially renegotiate. It, it all comes down to leverage at the end of the day, John. It depends right, on yes. what's your negotiating position, because if you're somebody who has a secure job and they're trying to poach you. You have a lot of leverage, and that's the opportunity to use it when you've got the leverage. Because once you sign on the dotted line and you resign from your old job, at that point, it's you know you can try and renegotiate. They're they're probably not going to be willing. Uh, so that in a situation like that, I absolutely agree. It doesn't harm somebody. You know, if you're coming in and you you know you it, it's it's from a much different perspective. It depending on the clause, especially certain clauses, really companies will never remove because they're just generally you know enforced uh, throughout mm-hmm. the the company for every employee. It, it all comes down to context like that. But it re- really well, I think it is that there's very little harm. Employers don't really you know chastise employees for trying to renegotiate their to better them their position a little bit they kind of expect it to some degree especially right now when we have a fairly hot labor market uh right. and, and so there's really no harm in trying 
And I guess if you know if you're in the situation where you've uh, you know you're maybe on the short list or gone through three or four interviews and you're you know you're top one or top two for the position, well mm-hmm. now you got a little bit of leverage like you said because they put a lot of resources and time into you already, so they probably won't blow you off as a candidate if you just want to massage a couple of the things inside that contract as well, right? Yeah, I mean companies are fairly reasonable if you know a lot of these times. The contract is written by a lawyer, and when a lawyer writes a contract, they're writing it in their best, in their client's interest, in their client's sure. best interest, you know, to ensure that they're protected in every hypothetical way. And you know, sometimes that's obviously great for the company, but sometimes these clauses and the way they're drafted could be off-putting for employees. They might be a little bit too restrictive. You know, you might have a non-compete in there where a guy may not want to be, you know, subject to it or it may not make sense, frankly, to be subject to it because maybe they work in IT or something like that mm-hmm. and re- really not a, a industry that's usually subject to a non-compete. So things like that, you know, companies just kind of take the contract from the lawyer, give it to the p- potential employee and say, please sign this because they trust their lawyers in terms of, in terms of looking out for their best interests. Uh, a lot of times, you know, they'll be a fine to massage some of the harsher, more restrictive details of that contract. Uh, and, and really, like I said, there's no harm in kind of asking that question. And again, if this is something that you're coming up against an employment contractor, you're thinking about, or you know, one's coming down towards you soon, you're starting a new job, reach out to Stan and, uh, you know, have them review it. They're going to they're gonna know and find things in there that might be a little distasteful uh, for you. If you simply sign one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to do that, help at employmentlawyer.ca. But you still got lots of time here and now for the remainder of this show. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred, and uh, let's get down to do, do, do another email. We're going through the inbox here, by the way, so that's why we have so many emails. Uh, Tiffany says, "Hey guys, is there a difference between notice and severance pay?" What do you say uh, about that? Uh, you know, it's it's actually a, a lot of. A lot of confusion around these two terms, John, because they mean the same thing and they mean something completely different depending on the context. Uh, And so what I mean by that is under the Employment Standards Act, these two terms mean something very specific. Under the Employment Standards Act, you know, notice or termination pay, which is the pay in lieu of notice equivalent, Mm -hmm. uh, essentially is equates to one week per year up to a maximum of eight weeks for notice or termination pay. Now, in if you have a company that has a payroll of over $2.5 million, and if you've worked there for over five years, then under the ESA, you are also entitled to what's called severance pay. And that's an additional one week per year up to a maximum of 26 weeks of severance. So under the ESA, those mean two very distinct and different things. Under the common law, and generally colloquially, when you you might talk to a lawyer about it, they are usually used interchangeably. I mean, notice specifically means giving somebody notice, essentially telling them, "Hey, I mean, your job is coming to an end uh, at this date, or and the consider the time between now and then to be working notice." Uh, and severance pay, you know, severance is obviously just whatever package people expect to receive, you know. At the end of the day, they all, generally speaking, the terms are used interchangeably along with wrongful dismissal damages, pay in lieu of notice. Uh, often people just mean what is the, you know, the money that I'm entitled to or mm-hmm. the amount of time I'm entitled to uh, in terms of notice. But 
as I say, so they mean something very distinct in the con- in certain contexts, and you know something very interchangeable in another. And I guess you know it, it's for the for the average person listening, the average you know person who's got a job. I mean, the ESA, so on and so forth. Like you said, the two point half million. I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of a moot point. We're more worried about your, you know, common law common law entitlements. That's what we really focus on this show, and that's the crux of everything, and the one that's going to carry you through. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. every your ESA entitlements are really, you know, for most people, they're about a week up to a maximum of eight. For other, you know, for maybe thirty percent of people, they're somewhere around two weeks per year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, whereas under the common law, you know, you generally is just a very basic rule of thumb. It starts at about a month per year and goes up or down uh, from there. Yeah. Depending on yeah. years of service, position, how long somebody's been there, um, there and their age. Yeah. So know, and then reaching out to twenty four months, which you're never going to mm-hmm. see if you go to the uh, you know the the website for the for the government for the uh, for that type of information for sure. As as you mentioned, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred is the way to reach out. Gary, thanks for hanging on for a moment. How are you? Hey, Gary. Quick question here. Sure. Yep. Um, yep. I've been with my employer for four years. I work in a delivery function. Um, anytime after 8 p.m. in the evening, uh, they've paid double time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're now proposing to eliminating that double time after 8 p.m. at night. Could that okay. be construed as a constructive dismissal by changing that? So how many, you know, in terms of real dollars, in terms of a proportion of your income, how how big a percentage are we talking about? Are we talking about it reduces your income by 5% or 20% or 15%? I would say a good 30, 40%. Oh, oh really? Then, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about that big a reduction in your income, and, and I don't care how, you know, how you call the reduction or what form it takes, if it's a reduction in, you know, a, spe- uh, a special kind of allowance that you've been getting or a special hour, uh, a premium that you've been getting paid for evening shifts, it's still at the end of the day to you just a reduction in your compensation. And when you're talking about 35, 30, 40%, absolutely, that is a constructive dismissal and you do not have to accept that. Fair enough. I appreciate the information, gentlemen. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate your time with the phone call as well. If uh, you know things uh, start to boil over for you, Gary, feel free to reach out to Stan and his team and have a uh, lengthier conversation for sure. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to do that anytime and uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Where we're down to? We're down to uh, Stella. Stella, thank you for reaching out. Help at employmentlawyer.ca says I got terminated today, but I was told I have to stay around until the end of April. Do I actually have to keep working even though they fired me? So unfortunately, Stella, I mean, you do, uh, if you want to obviously get paid until the end of the period, and if you want to have the possibility of potentially getting severance after that, uh, whether that's severance under the ESA, which they would owe you once the working notice period ended, or whether that's just because of the fact that whatever you know working notice they're giving you is maybe mm. s- significantly less than what you're entitled to, and you know, once that period is done, your it doesn't mean what your enti- your entitlements are done. It just means that from there, you're owed pay in lieu of that working notice. So, I mean, if you want to get to that point, you do unfortunately have to stay and work throughout the period that they've asked you to work. Um, it's it's up to the you know it's at the employer's discretion 
whether they want to provide somebody with actually working notice as they've done right. for you, Stella, or whether they, they just rather have you leave that day and pay you out. But at the end of the day, it is that up to their discretion. And there's not much you can do if they choose to exercise that discretion and have you work out some period of time. Do you think uh, possibly, you know, if, if you were to advise Stella, the angle she should be looking at is, okay, nothing I can do about that, so I'm going to hang around here and have to work until April. Now, I guess from now until April, if they're, if that's the end of it, she should really be looking mm-hmm. if that is sufficient time in lieu of severance for her to be there. In other words, is that enough notice? And at the end of April, when she's supposed to be gone, are they still going to owe her more? I mean, is that is that where she should be looking? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a possibility, depending on how long she's been there. If, you know, if we're mm-hmm. talking about now until April, that's only potentially four months, five months. Um, she could be owed 24 months, you right. know, if she's been there for 20 plus years. So absolutely, you know, it, it may be worth staying on just for that reason alone. And the other potential aspect to this is if, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to who have had to be put in this situation oftentimes neither party's really happy and oftentimes the environment's fairly toxic. So if you are dealing with a toxic environment, if it really feels like they're just get, trying to get you to resign, you don't have to stay there under those circumstances. Or, you know, if you're, if you really can't deal with the, the pressure, the anxiety, you know, what have you, you can talk to your doctor about taking a potential medical leave and that does not affect your entitlements, you know, yeah. uh, at the end of that. And in fact, they will owe you money for the period that you're off because you cannot provide working notice to a period to a person who's medically unable to work. And I think, you know, in the meantime, if Stella's wondering to the point that, you know, we just made about is that enough working notice right up until April, if she's owed more money at that point, again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, Stella, hit the severance pay calculator. You can put your own metric through there, and you'll figure out in about 30 seconds if, uh, you know, at the end of April, they're going to owe you a few more shekels for sure because they didn't uh, they didn't cover it with that working notice. But again, uh, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca uh, to do that. Joseph is up next. Email says, my employer is forcing me to work on Saturday, but he knows that is against my religion. He's threatening to let me go if I don't come in. Is there anything I can do? Uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot you can do and uh, a mm-hmm. lot wrong with that scenario. You know, in Ontario, we have the Ontario Human Rights Code, which prohibits religion as a form of discrimination. And I mean, very clearly, requiring someone to work on their holy day off uh, would be discriminatory, especially if it's not something that's been required in the past and is being introduced as a brand new, uh, brand new work requirement. Uh, you know, in that instance, I mean, ultimately. You can go to the Human Rights Tribunal and make a claim, uh, or you can even claim constructive dismissal and say that's a toxic work environment. I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to stay on in that situation, especially if they've refused to accommodate you after multiple requests. Uh, Gurdeep's got a good question here again. All these emails coming through help at employmentlawyer.ca. Free to free to use anytime and correspond with us on a future show for sure or when we're not on the air as well. Uh, Gurdeep says, hey, Stan, my company reduced my hours from 40 to 25 mm-hmm. a week since August. They have not said when they plan on returning us to full time. Can I somehow force them to give me my full time hours back? I mean, Unfortunately, Gertie, you can't force them to give you your full-time hours back. Your employer is the one that dictates the schedule. And if they're you know, saying this is the hours they're going to pay you for, then those are the hours that you have. And you have, unfortunately, a 
difficult decision to make because you you know you're going to have to decide whether you want to accept this change and continue to work for this company and essentially by doing so giving the company the authority to make changes like this in the future in terms of your hours or whether you're going to say no I don't agree to this change and I'm going to treat that as a termination and claim constructive dismissal because if they've reduced your hours by that much and assuming there's a corresponding reduction in salary that comes with it you know we're talking essentially about something like near 40 35% mm-hmm. um that is again a very clear constructive dismissal. But it's been since August for Gurdip. Is it is he beyond the point where he's deemed to have accepted it and he can't go back now, or is he still okay? Well, right now we're kind of in a vacuum in time because yeah. in in our bubble, in our pandemic bubble, we have in Ontario the infectious disease leave regulations, which continue to uh, are technically enforced right now until until January. And they give an employer the ability to do this right now unless they're willing to. Uh, and then, sorry, at the end of the, once they expire these regulations, they have to reinstate them to their regular hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, we've talked a lot about this program and how these regulations don't, don't affect your common law rights. Right. Yeah. But if you've already accepted this for since August, well, then in January, come January, when idle expires, you can argue, well, I've only accepted it because of idle. And now either give me my hours back or I'm going to claim constructive dismissal. Right. So, you know, it's a, idle can be used both as a sword and a shield in some instances. And I would say that's one way we can do so here for Gurdip. Let's try to get to Pang here with our last couple minutes of the uh, show tonight. Pang says, mm-hmm. hey, guys, a person at work keeps harassing and bullying me. I talked to HR, but they won't do anything. And I'm very frustrated and not sure what to do because I cannot afford to lose this job. Who do I go to about this? Well, Pang, I mean, I think in your situation, the first kind of the starting point in assessing this is to decide what is it that you're trying to achieve? What is the goal? Is the goal to stay there is, and get it resolved? Is the goal to leave and claim constructive dismissal and try to get your severance? Is the goal to potentially just remove yourself from the workplace for a bit and let things cool down and see if, how that how things you know feel in the future? Because depending on the answer to that question, there's multiple ways you can approach this. You know, you can obviously try to escalate things above HR and speak to people in the more executive position about this situation. You can escalate things to the Ministry of Labor and file a complaint with them in terms of the harassment. Uh, you can, if it's if it's in any way sexually related, you can file a complaint under the Human Rights uh, Code with the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. Also, I mean, if if the situation becomes extremely unbearable and is giving you medical health issues, you can talk to your doctor about taking a, uh, an absence, a medical absence, and applying for short-term and, if necessary, long-term disability. There, there's a whole spectrum of options available, Pang. It really starts from what is it that you're trying to achieve and what is the endpoint you're get, trying to get to. Pang, that is a good email, and it's just about going to wrap it for the night. Uh, we're just about out of time, but that's okay. You can still reach out anytime. Send an email along to Stan and his team. You could do that like we've been reading so far tonight. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the way you do that. I did mention pocketemploymentlawyer.ca with tons of employment law information, free and anonymous, and access to the severance pay calculator there as well. 
And phone number 1-855-821-5900 is the way to reach out to Stan and his team again. We're out of here. Until Wednesday, we'll be back, but stand, uh, stick around anyway. On Point's coming right back with Alex Pearson here on Global News.